0: welcome to the dance science podcast i'm your host the dance scientist and the dance science podcast intends to build connections and drive discussion on how we can improve our field and make dance science more normalized thank you for being here and please enjoy today's episode hi everyone thank you so much for being here with me today I'm your host, The Dance Scientist. And today is episode number 31. We're gonna have another amazing guest speaker today. Her name is Michelle and she is a dance psychology researcher. So first, I just wanna say thank you so much for being here with us today and taking time out of your day.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yes. So first, can you tell us a little bit about your journey, you know, being a dancer at a young age and then what led you into the path of becoming a researcher in dance psychology?
1: Yeah, so I've actually started dancing quite late. Uh, I was around 14 years old. And I'm from Switzerland. So I started in a youth ensemble or youth company doesn't exist in that kind of format anymore. Um, And I've mostly done contemporary, actually, that was kind of my my thing. Um, Until my dance teacher at the youth ensemble said, Oh, you know, you should kind of uh, be a bit broader. And do some acting too. Mm. So I did actually some drama and acting quite a lot and got really into it. And I thought like, oh, maybe I'm not going to go into dance because I felt like the dance culture at this particular theatre was quite um, harsh mm. and tough. Mm. Mm. So I, I kind of reconvened a little bit when I started to think about auditioning I thought should I go into dance or acting and I went into drama. Mm. I then um, auditioned to the and Culture of Arts in the UK, which is not existing anymore. It's now Falmouth University in Cornwall. And it was actually quite a nice experience because it was a very broad education. Mm. So I could still dance, but I was a drama major as well. Oh. So I could, kind of go in between a little bit, mm. which is nice. Mm. It's almost like they, they gave me time to procrastinate my decision what to do in a way. <laughs> so um, I did that for a year. And then I thought it's a lot of practice I did. Mm. I was just kind of dancing and acting and uh, doing devising. And I felt like I wanted to know more about how people train and how people mm. tick. And um, actually, then um, went to Oslo and did my bachelor's there. But that was just in drama and movement practices. Mm. It was called, cool. it was mostly drama, it was mostly theory. But I really, really enjoyed it because it gave me these years to just um, kind of elaborate on the theories that I wanted to know about. And then dance kind of went a bit into the background. Mm. And when I was done with my masters, I did the bachelors and masters there, uh, the drama department closed while I was a master's student
0: there. Yeah, it was,
1: it was very strange. It was a very okay. strange thing happening. And we are all very surprised, like, oh, okay, what's happening now? What kind of did the arts in, in Norway? Um, it was a very interesting time. So they, they kind of reconvened everything to another city, hmm. but I was done. At that point, I, I was a bit lost. I didn't quite know what to do. Hmm. And uh, then went into teaching. What kind of hmm. teaching found me? I was Approach to teach. (laughs) (laughs) I was always (laughs) in awe of people teaching because I always thought you must be so good to do it. Mm. And I never thought I would be good at doing it. But they they kind of encouraged me to do some dance classes and some drama classes, which I did. I I did that for I think around six years in different schools Mm. and kindergartens. And then uh, went for another year back to university and did a teaching degree Mm. to really. Get it right. <laughs> I felt because I felt like there was so much I didn't know, mm. and I, I just really, really wanted to be that support that the children and young people needed. Mm. Um, and I did it in drama and uh, movement practices again. Mm. So I went back and kind of specialized in that. And while I did that, uh, I really got back into dance um, after my son was born. My son is eleven now, so it's eleven years ago. Um, I had a really difficult pregnancy, mm. and I thought, hmm. I actually really miss it. Mm. Wouldn't it be nice to go back to it? And I very slowly started going back to it. And that's when I read about the dance science course in mm. Bern. Oh. In
0: <laughs> I love and that. So it that's when it all
1: happened for me. It's always been like something is kind of missing. Mm. I, I don't do what I should do. I like teaching, but kind of something's missing. So mm. I um, did this course in Bern. Mm. And I don't know if you know the course in Bern. Mm-mm. No. no, um, it's uh, it's block based, mm. so I could work full time oh. and go every weekend. Oh, or I see. Weekend. It was in the beginning once a month, mm-hmm. and uh, fly to Bern, do a block course on anything down science, and then fly back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, yeah, it was completely. I, I mean, even my friends were like, "You are
0: crazy! Crazy! <laughs>
1: <laughs> this, this is crazy! You're not going to do it, and it's not going to last." But it, it really did mm. because. I finally found my home. Mm. I did that course uh, Because finally I could make sense of how dance are training, mm-hmm. what they need physically, but also mentally. Um, I found my little niche in dance psychology. Mm. It all made sense. So um, yeah, I was really at home there. That's how I've done another master's, <laughs> my master's in dance science. And I met um Dr. Sana Noddy Bates who's now my supervisor for my PhD as well. Oh, okay. Spo- spoiler alert, I do a PhD. <laughs> this is very Um, And uh, had a great time working with her. And through her, I got to know other people in Oslo. Mm. Uh, one of them was Dr. Heidi Haraldsson. And she was at the Oslo National Academy of the Arts, where the Norwegian National Ballet School is. Mm. And she asked me upon graduation to come and join her and work with her as a research assistant and program coordinator. So I worked there and started mentoring dancers hmm. as well while doing a little bit more CBT courses and other courses in dance psychology.
0: And yeah. you know, I'm curious, cause you were talking a lot about like, obviously your dance science education, then you like got specifically into the dance psychology stuff. So did you ever have dance science like as like an undergrad or like even in your masters? Did you ever have it at an early age?
1: No. No. no, no. Okay. That's one thing that really kind of amazed me because Mm. I didn't know it it existed until I stopped upon it. while, while of course, thinking, oh my God, somebody should really look into this, you know, Um, from when I was 14 and started dancing and acting, when I thought, oh, all these people would need so much help. And they even said to me, I mean, professional dancers working there and singers and actors, they all were like, we would need so much help to get the regime going or get somebody listening to us. So, yeah.
0: Oh, because they were saying that they have a hard time getting listened. I see, I see. Getting like heard, basically. I see. Yeah, I
1: heard. Or so. getting kind of the, the follow up they needed. Sometimes mm. they were a bit more, maybe critical mm. to how things were, especially dancers that were, because we had a contemporary dance company, not a mm. ballet company. And they were very open to science and mm. always said, um, we don't quite think what we do is still up to date. Right. Athletes do, for example. Right. We had friends that were athletes. So that was always really interesting. I always yes. thought interesting to say that. Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. In my master's, I got to study a lot of different athletes and now I kind of like compare the two in my head all the time because <laughs> athletes are far ahead from us, for sure. <laughs>
1: Definitely. And I yeah. do think that certain. Ballet companies or, or artistic directors do know that, that they're Yes.
0: In it. Yeah. I was very
1: lucky in Oslo that they are very interested in it. They yeah. Know there is this difference.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's a good thing to point out because I think sometimes people assume that when I say like a, a lot of those like negatives that I just said, people think that I mean like sweeping across the whole world, but I know that there are really good companies out there who are open-minded and at least willing to listen, right? If you're just willing to listen a little bit and just like, "Oh, that's interesting. Maybe we should read and read that, you know. Maybe we can try that, you know." So yeah, I know that there are some really good companies out there. But I just wish it was more mainstream, for sure.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. I-, I see that there is a huge barrier, though. Yeah, that it's
0: not mainstream.
1: Yeah, these few that like to do something, they can't do everything that we would want to see, right. maybe. But they do try.
0: Yes, small things are better than nothing, right? Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. I- Definitely. So through your specialization as being now a research in dance psychology, how do you see this contributing to the big picture of dance science?
1: Well, dance psychology was always a bit like on the back foot, or bit neglected within dance science in a way, because we know a lot or more about the physical aspects and challenges mm-hmm. that dancers go through. And we always failed when we like looked at conferences as well. How psychology was represented? Mm. Uh, it was always a bit of a minority, wasn't it? It was always there.
0: It was like it was, barely, there. It
1: was barely there. Barely. Yeah. And, you know, amazing people that did amazing research, like Dr. Paula Thompson, for example, um, and Linda Menmering. They they were people that were always there, kind of doing these things.
0: And a lot, unlike they did a lot on injuries too, right? Like the exactly, perception yeah. of injuries. Yeah, injuries. yeah,
1: yeah. We still know very little actually about the, the dancers mind. Yeah,
0: isn't that interesting?
1: It is. I mean, it gives a lot of opportunity. Mm. And that's why I'm always hoping it gives all the students out there, on undergrads, master students, anybody a kind of kick to, to think yeah. this might be what they want to do, maybe. Yes, because yeah.
0: not much has been done. I mean,
1: no. I mean, I'm doing my PhD on mental skills training, mm. trying to create a program for dancers mm. to follow. Uh, and we see there's very little framework. There's very little buried in about mental health. Um, I've done a scoping review of mental health, and we see there's very
0: little done, really. And you know, I'm curious too. What's like the most common age that you gear your stuff towards? Or like when you said you, you were teaching a lot across like different studios and companies, what was your most common age?
1: Between 15 and 18. I see. Mainly, okay. mainly, mainly vocational dancers, okay. I would say. Yeah, definitely. I feel, um, when it came to professional dancers, that people were very protective. of their time, of their schedules, and of what they might hear, (laughs) or maybe then they get ideas. They always say, they might get ideas, it's like, Mm. yeah, I hope so, but yeah, they're they're always a bit careful.
0: I see. So sometimes they're a little more closed off, you would say? Yeah, Mm -hmm. can be.
1: Uh, But I do think mostly it is to protect their time, Yeah, because they are a bit afraid that it might get too much, that they do a lot. That's kind of the impression I got.
0: Right. Like if they're already like close to burnout, it's like, how much more can they handle?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, when I'm looking at vocational dancers, how much they have to do and get through. I do think it's a bit the same problem. It's,
0: it's insane.
1: Yeah, even a, even at
0: a younger age, I mean, it's crazy.
1: Right. It and you always think like, shouldn't they rest more? Shouldn't there be kind mm. of periodization, something yeah. to support? And I think some try to do that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And of course, then when you come in with the psychology and mindset kind of aspects, then mostly there's no space for that. But they say now we have enough to do. So it's a it's a flip side to that a little bit.
0: (laughs) And so like, if you were to kind of like define why you think dance psychology is important, like maybe let's use like the analogy of maybe we have like a professional ballet dancer who's like highly, highly skilled, but maybe they're overcoming some like mental hurdles. So is how would you kind of define how dance psychology like plays a role in also dancers, physical technique and physical strength?
1: I mean, as a dance scientist, I think anyway, a dancer is a holistic human being, Mm. everything everything goes together, nothing mm-hmm. is ever um, kind of isolated from each other. So I think in that sense, dance psychology just um, gives an opportunity to actually enhance performance. Mm-hmm. So if the, this hurdle is now setting up for injuries or you're feeling like I don't get this choreography right and it's kind of my mind uh, playing tricks on me or mm. um, there's there are negative emotions and negative thoughts being my way, I feel that dance psychology really can help you there to overcome that, to address Mm. it. And to me, dance psychology is not just about dancing skills. It's about Mm. life skills.
0: Oh, I like that. that.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know, I like how you were kind of defining it too. And I think even like the educators are gonna play a really important role if a dancer is dealing with those mental hurdles, right? But then it's hard because like they're also not, researchers in dance psychology and they're not dance psychologists so it's like sometimes it's like how do they teeter that line without crossing boundaries right
1: exactly we, we talked a lot about that how much educators have to be mm. um, and what kind of hats do they have to wear because i i feel for my time as educator i wore a lot of hats that i shouldn't have oh, to yeah. wear So feel like they shouldn't have to be these psychologists mm-hmm. or sociologists or um like educating children outside the dance studio in a way but still they have to do that Mm. so we talk very little about who a dance educator should actually be Mm. and how much responsibility should they have versus should they have a team around them the other people supporting them Mm -hmm. in what they don't know Mm.
0: and the other thing is I think it's really hard for dancers from a young age feeling all the pressures that they feel nowadays. Pressures to just be perfect, right? At like the age of seven, you know, it's like, if they can't do X, Y, and Z, they're like shunned. (laughs) Right?
1: And I mean, many move away from home, you know, that. So they're mostly homesick then there is this kind of pressure to um, fit these kind of moulds, especially in the ballet world that we have. Uh, Maybe you have parents that are quite competitive, Mm. while you're not competitive, or you have parents that are supportive, but then you miss them even more. There are many, many things that go together. And then you have educators as well, that maybe not not telling you strive for excellence, but Mm. strive for perfection, then you get this perfectionism aspect in as well. It can be really, really difficult to handle and once I always feel like it was from my own experience, once it's established, it's very oh, difficult to yeah. change that.
0: Oh, again. yeah. 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 Especially, I think, you know, coming from an educator, it's kind of like their first, like, they really put a lot of power into what an educator tells them, right? Would you agree? Like anything an educator tells them, they kind of believe wholeheartedly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because I think an educator is so close to that, that dancer as well, because they're mostly together with them, apart yeah. from the peers, of course, the other dancers. And they're, they're seen as specialists, mm. especially if they've been dancers themselves, which many have, and some take a bit more responsibility in handling this, and maybe saying, I'm an educator now, not the dancer, mm. but I use this expertise I have, and mm. others maybe build a bit more on that role they used to have. So it is, it, it can be quite dangerous or rather the educator has a lot of power and needs to use their power very wisely.
0: Yes. And not overstep the boundaries. Yeah. And and
1: sometimes I'm sure as well, if we don't just push educators out into the dance world and say, now you're an educator, (laughs) and we don't really do so much to support them.
0: Oh, I think that's an interesting thought too. There isn't much support for educators.
1: No, if you think about it, I mean, there's no international kind of um educational pathway you can go as an no. educator and then you you're certified for example if you think about safeguarding of, of dances nowadays for example yeah and I, I think that's a problem both for the dance world and the dance teacher.
0: I think that's I see, yeah uh, yeah I think that's where there's so many like different little ones that have popped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um,
1: Safe and dance international for yeah. example is mm-hmm. now which is a- absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, but still there are many dancers that say oh my teacher doesn't know about this and that or the educators say themselves i don't know about psychology mm. I would like to know that but i don't have the time to do it because mm. i have so much to do <laughs> so it's all kind of in the jumbled with each other with these timetables and do we want too much or like skill wise and in, in skills acquiring wise um should we you know move move gears a little bit more slower mm. or is it is it the right amount that we right. put on the dances right now? It's yeah.
0: It's a toss up.
1: It, exactly. Science, <laughs> it's yeah,
0: yeah, science will tell us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, definitely. There's so many things really that are kind of not quite working out.
0: Right. It's, it's almost like a rat
1: tail once you try to kind of dissemble it, it it all falls a bit apart
0: yeah so i think some of the change isn't going to be easy with dance science you know some of the things can be easier to implement but i think a lot of the other ones are going to be like mountains mountains more mountain <laughs> a little mountain definitely. a big mountain. <laughs> definitely,
1: definitely i i succeed like that but I, I always like to think, like be, being now an optimist, that it's possible to do.
0: Of course, I believe that too.
1: It's a generation shift that needs to happen. Yeah. Because, you know, we see now just when I'm thinking when I started and people were, for example, confused about um, their gender or mm. they felt they were gender fluid, there was no word for it. And now this is much more a right. thing yes. that I know much less about than maybe mm. younger people. <laughs> but, right. You know, I'm,
0: but, yeah. And, you know, that's just another way of like how times evolve. Right. And we kind of just like have to learn how things adjust. Right. Yeah. It's just like part of human evolution. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes.
1: So I think that, that science really has a, has a role there to play mm-hmm. and we, we do play it. I, I do feel when I go, for example, to I Adams conferences mm-hmm. that we do play the roles. We do our best to kind of instill it to the next generation too and um, be, be wrong and sometimes think what we know of, now might not be is, what is advisable tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And that's yeah. just kind of part of how science is too, right? We're always like learning and pivoting, yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: That's what's makes it exciting. That's, yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give a student interested in pursuing your specific field?
1: Um, I can just tell you, um, be curious. What I did, because I really wanted to do a PhD uh, when I did my master's in dance science, I just approached many people. Mm. The great thing about the dance science world, maybe compared to other science fields, is that people are incredibly open to you.
0: Yes. The connections. Yes. Mm.
1: Really. And Mm. I, I just think just make it happen for yourself. Talk to these people, get opinions, see whether opportunities, and get connected, because mm. that's when things are starting to happen. Mostly, mm. I felt like when I started networking, it was like, oh, I, I can um, write an article with this person, or yes. I can go and maybe guest lecture there. So people are interested in you, mm. just figure, figure things out. And if you feel something is interesting that you heard, just go, go and get more information on it. Don't be shy. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, it really is like a one big family, you know, like, if you don't know a certain person you probably know like a common friend who knows you know what I mean it's just like kind yeah, of yeah. everyone's like interwoven somehow
1: <laughs>
0: the conference, they say,
1: oh I didn't know you know that person yeah that's constant my life <laughs> yeah exactly i'm like oh <laughs> oh you know that
0: yeah, I grew up with them, you know, you're like, oh, it's crazy.
1: Well, I went to university with them, you know, a long time ago. Yeah. It's like, oh, really? you
0: lucky. It's um, never ending.
1: I think it's the best thing is really to just be curious and not let yourself be stopped by certain barriers. Mm. There are always possibilities to do what you really want to do. Yeah.
0: If you want to do it, go for it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So what have you learned that you wish you knew as a young dancer? This is usually people's like favorite question.
1: (laughs) Oh, it is a really good question because it's something that really popped up for me a lot when I did dance science, the dance science degree. I think I would have loved to know that other people could be my learning resource,
0: Hmm. both
1: like physically, when I try to learn a choreography or Mm -hmm. anything else, um, but also just mentally when they did something really well or had a good mindset. Because how I grew up in that, in that drama and dance world was that um, I have to look over my shoulder or oh, sorry, competition. It was uh, very, uh,
0: It was harsh. I see.
1: Mm. It was very mm. harsh. So I, I wish somebody would have just told me that kindness goes further mm. than pettiness mm. and that I could actually just relax and learn from others and take my time with that. I would really, really wish I would have known that.
0: So do you think like the harshness of the environment also affected like how you perform like physically too? I'm curious yeah, definitely. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh
1: yeah yeah I both mentally and physically, I feel I I was very prohibited by myself mm. I always felt like I need to be the best. Mm. I need to be good. I need to show that I'm worthy of being there um Instead of just thinking, I'm good enough as I am, if they don't like it too bad, <laughs> I did my best and that's what I'm here for. I'm here to learn mm. and to get better, not to be the best, but to get better.
0: And was it coming from like the higher eds and like the teachers and the choreographers or more from like the students that you were dancing with?
1: Uh, both mm. at that point. Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> I, I did have a leader that was very like, um, they, yeah. He favoured people a lot, I've mm. been, and um, then that kind of, but the, it was very contagious with the peers mm. as well, that they then were kind of competitive among each other, mm. once they were friends, then they were not.
0: So of, like cliques, kind yeah. of like separate cliques. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Absolutely. But I, I've also been in other groups where this was not an issue at all, mm. and people were much more open-minded and this was no issue, but then I also performed better. I just thrived much more.
0: And, you know, that's the thing, too, is, you know, people think that it requires this like harsh environment, right? When there's like a there's a fine line that you can find, right? They, you know, they can strive for healthy excellence without it pushing past a certain line. Right? Yeah, I
1: mean, yeah. Um, I was lucky enough two years ago to do a um, a talk with Dr. Mustafa Sarkar. He's at Nottingham Trent University. Um, he's a specialist in resilience. And he said it really well. He said, there is um, a high challenge environment. Mm. So you, it's very challenging, mm-hmm. but it, it should be high in support as well.
0: Oh, I like um, that.
1: And that mm. was really, really good to hear that, because I think it makes a lot of sense, both physically and mentally, mm. that um, if you have support from your teachers and they see the individuality, They they value who you are and they take your learning pace and don't just instill it on you that if you have this kind of environment, you you work much better Mm. than when you have um, the other one was like an an unrelenting environment, Mm. which would be high challenge and low support. Mm. Then you're really like, I think then you're sinking and you're not swimming, but sinking
0: and you'll feel safer too, which is kind of what you were saying. Yeah, yeah that, that yeah. would
1: be a very safe environment mm-hmm. because everybody could learn at their own pace. Right. They would see each other's competitors, they would see mm-hmm. each other's learning resources, mm-hmm. which is
0: just ideal. Yeah, I like the term seeing our peers as learning resources. I really like that, yeah. Because okay. mm-hmm. we know that competitiveness is a big thing in Dance Tale.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, in I classes. mean, it is a bit natural because you have just a certain amount of roles, a certain amount of positions. Hierarchy. Yeah. Hierarchy.
0: Yeah. It's, it's,
1: it's not easy to navigate that without being competitive. I do think you can be ambitious right. without being overly competitive
0: mm. with each
1: other. Mm-hmm.
0: And kindness yeah. can go such a long way. Just... I really think
1: kindness goes much longer because you never know when somebody out of sudden is in a company mm. and you go into audition for it. You don't know when somebody yeah, that's true. Uh, needs help needs yeah. help them and then maybe they can help you back. Yeah. You repeat really
0: it. You, you never know. Yeah. I like, I like putting it in that kind of statement. I like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just kind You of never know. Yeah. We do yeah. That a lot in psychology. We try to see, observe the strength in people and kind of, at least that's how I work on my research team that I'm part of work, the sprint team, we call each other. Um, we, we believe a lot that people have strengths mm. and they learn better when you take these strengths and you use them to mm. kind of prop up your weaknesses or. Mm. You learn something new Mm,
0: i love that yeah so where can people learn more about you and how can they access your resources we'll talk a little bit more about this in part two but if you just wanted to give us a little snippet that would be wonderful
1: yeah um i'm part of the sprint team at the university of birmingham that's where i'm doing my phd so um on their website there's more you can read about the research i do and myself but also on the reddit websites which is the website for the National um, Academy of the Arts in Oslo.
0: Awesome. So I will link all of that on my podcast page. And then as a wrap up to part one, if you have to offer one little tidbit of wisdom to our audience today, what would that be?
1: I think uh, keep curious
0: hmm.
1: and you know, be uh, to those dance researchers out there that are established, um, be open to welcome other people in. and. Hmm give young people a chance to to really get into the field they want because we do need them. Yeah,
0: yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't need to be gatekeeped, right? No, we can have open not. arms to people, because exactly. people have to start somewhere, you know, they're exactly. not,
1: and it's, hard, it's hard to get in. Really yeah,
0: is. yeah. So I like that. I think it's important that we open and have that sort of receptivity, you know, with ourselves too. Yeah. I really yeah. like that. Thank you.
1: You're
0: welcome. All right, everyone. We're heading into part two of today's wonderful conversation with Michelle. First, can you tell us a little bit about what you do as a dance psychology researcher?
1: Yeah, uh, I am a PhD student at the university of Birmingham in the UK. So what I'm doing right now is that I'm working on my project, which is about mental skills training in dance. So we're trying to build a mental skills training program for dancers. Mm. And in the first round now for my PhD, it's going to be on freelance dances mm. because they have very little access actually to these kind of, um, mental resources. Um, but it was of course not really to a physiotherapist or anything. So we are trying to target them to actually help them. So that's what I'm doing right now, actually. Yeah.
0: I see. And what year are you in? I'm just curious.
1: Uh, the first year. First year. Awesome. I just awesome. A masters. Um, actually my second year because I did a masters first in uh, social research, which was part of my PhD. Mm-hmm. To just get all the modules out of the way. I <laughs> and see. And
0: I'm doing the research. Oh, I see. So the freelance dancers, are they like professional? Like at that age? Okay, cool. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they kind of like hop around and get different jobs in dance? Exactly.
1: I They're self employed and they work from job to job basis. I see.
0: So they don't have access. So that's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah, we try yeah. our best. Uh, they're, they're on the research very much so, and we know very little about them really. So
0: you got to start somewhere, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, I just,
0: just you got to like, move the needle at some point. Exactly,
1: yeah. <laughs> but they, they deserve some attention. In, of
0: uh, course, science, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then, you know, people after you will be like, oh, there's, a, you know, we can start with that too, you know, as a foundation. Exactly. Yeah.
1: I mean, there were some people that did it before in psychology. Oh, okay. Uh, for example, Maria Koletida, but um, we still know very little. And what dance? As said, they don't have the same information mm. as, as other people do. Mm.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about the services that you also offer?
1: yeah i mean one of the things i do is that i go and guest lecture mm. i'm a guest lecturer at the also national academy of the arts for mm. example i go there every year to do dance psychology um but i'm also mentoring dancers i've done that before as well that i went to the um, uh, youth ballet for example mm. in norway and uh, i mentioned yeah i mentioned different dancers mm. that just had some challenges or they felt like maybe they're not developing as they should mm. so i'm also doing that if I see
0: so is that mentoring for like career stuff too or more just like mental skills
1: more mental skills okay I, I mean and I'm also I should I say quite strict with that because I'm not a registered uh, sports psychologist I like see that. yes so I, I'm doing certain things but not others yes
0: so you're keeping yeah. that line which is important yeah. yeah, and I, I know it exactly. can be hard if they if they're like asking you questions and you're like, ah. Yeah, I
1: mean, but I, I mostly have people I could ask that are I see. psychologists, yeah, or psychologists that I would say, look, um, I can be a bridge to this person, right? Yes. If, 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 for example, an eating disorder or a very heavy depression. Right. I would not treat that. For right.
0: Example. So you have yeah. like your re- referral list ready to go. Of co- yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. 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 Again, it's those connections, right? <laughs> Somebody yeah. knows someone who knows someone who knows someone.
1: <laughs> because, yeah, Working with people that you think, or you know, are reliable as well, I think is really important. Yeah. Because I did hear on social media, especially that um, Dancer said, oh, but you know, I, I went to this kind of uh, mental, I don't know, um, trainer or anything, and they were not really good, or they just told me to breathe. Mm. And, and, and you should know this is maybe not a person you should go
0: back to <laughs> if it's like that. Yeah. And you know, that brings up an interesting yeah. thing that I say a lot is it's hard on social media because you don't really know, sometimes you don't really know if the person is coming from like an actual certification or education or like, you know, science back information or if they're just kind of like coming out of nowhere. It's yeah, it's I It's agree. challenging.
1: Yeah, especially the dance world where we get a lot on. Oh, this was a former dancer now turned. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes. And
1: this is always a bad thing. Sometimes yes. it's absolutely fantastic what they do. Mm. Um, and then other times, as you say, it can be a bit shady, or mm. you don't quite know.
0: Yeah, because there's
1: no certification or anything. Mm. I mean, in in UK, there is a register. Oh, okay. It's called H- HPC. And if you're registered with that, then mm-hmm. you know, it's legit, but not everybody that would be good is registered there, for example.
0: I see. But- yeah. There's mm-hmm. not really, I mean, I don't think there's really stuff like that here in the US.
1: No, I no. haven't heard of that either, but I would not know enough about that
0: yeah. to be honest. Cause I think it's hard because again, anything that dancers see, I think they're kind of like easy to trust, you know? They're just like immediate, like oh, that that must be right. If this, if I see this dancer doing it, and she, she could do a pirouette, right? <laughs> it's
1: exactly.
0: Like, oh, and yeah. I
1: want to be like this. Yes. So the I modeling.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: But you know, I think dancers have to know their individuals. Yes. What what works for the person next to you doesn't have to work for for you, and it's completely fine.
0: Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are some of your challenges as a dance psychology researcher?
1: Oh, I think there are quite a lot of barriers. Um, I think the biggest one is to to get people to trust you to go and Mm. give talks or to lecture or to do workshops or something. Because I do feel it's still quite blocked off Mm. sometimes or that people get a bit like, oh, what are you doing to my dances? Um, it it is a bit like, it's still a bit difficult to get a foot in. Mm -hmm. That's what I think is the most challenging part to when you have all this knowledge and you have a good network of people that, you know, that would actually, they could go and also give talks, for example, or support you. Um, there is no opportunity to go and do it.
0: Mm -hmm. And I'm curious too, how do you kind of see that contributing with young dancers as well?
1: Yeah. You mean that they don't get the access. Yeah. That something. they don't have
0: yeah. that access. Yeah. It's a really yeah, interesting I, thing to think about.
1: It, it is because you always think then where do they get it from? Again, mm-hmm. how do they learn mental skills that they would need to enhance their performance? Right. They wouldn't.
0: Clients? Yeah.
1: But where do they get it from? Um, social media, mm-hmm. um, YouTube, there's a lot of stuff there, which is not necessarily, good. I mean, I I love YouTube. I go a lot to YouTube myself. But you have to know what you're looking for. And that the person telling you something in a video is actually legit. And you should have somebody that goes with you and does that with you. Mm. I do think that's safer than just going on a journey by yourself. Of course. Yes. Yes. Basically.
0: And so what is kind of like your response if there's like, let's say like a studio or a company who's hesitant to hire you? as like a dance, you know, with this dance psychology lecture that you offer.
1: I think I'm mostly just asking a little bit, do, do you do anything mm. to do that? Mm. Do, do you see certain challenges that a dancer has? Mm. Um, and what are these challenges? Are you really confident that you can take care of these challenges? Because mostly that's... when I'm asking this, <laughs> people are like, oh, actually, no, it's yeah. a
0: Food. Yeah, they're like, actually,
1: I, I, I do like to ask questions. I learned that the very hard way that mm. it's better to ask questions mm. and be open for the replies you're getting, than uh, like falling with the door into the house and say, like, here I am. I love <laughs> okay. that. All this knowledge. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's better to ask questions and really think what they what they actually say
0: to you. Because then you're kind possible. of Getting into their space and seeing how they operate—not necessarily just trying to go in and just like fix, you know—I need to fix you, you know—but just like seeing, like, okay, how are they operating on a daily basis? Like you said, what are they struggling with in their classes?
1: Yeah, and who who they are. I mean, if, also if the dancers raise something when I go and give a talk. Um, It's always good to take the perspective of this other person, maybe a teacher or Mm. something that came up and think, okay, is this something we can do together to help this teacher then? Because now I hear all these challenges, what can we actually do to create a solution here? Mm. To, to that, to, to create a better space or something. Mm. And as you say, you, you go into that space, mm. it's uh, you know not intrude into the space, but right. you, you're on a different space and you have to respect these hierarchies that are existing. Yes, exactly. Like,
0: yeah. In, yeah. Yeah. You can't just go in and, you know, sweep, <laughs> start sweeping. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're gonna start okay. from ground zero.
1: <laughs> exactly. And it is, I don't know if you feel like that, but I feel, um, especially after you're done with the dance signs, like the the basics, you always think like, oh, I have to go and, and I change that because yes. it's really bad for yes. the dancers. Yeah. And you eat so well, but then you you really put people off because they yeah.
0: feel like, oh no, no no no, this is too much. It, yeah. People can kind of sense that energy sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. If you go yeah. into it a little bit too, like, <laughs> <laughs> let's change. Yeah.
1: <laughs> let's change everything. You're, yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah, just
0: sweep everything off. <laughs>
1: Exactly. And mostly, it, it's it's also really good to see what they do right. Mm. I like to go and see what is actually going really well here. I love that. How, how, how can we how can we take that and then build upon what's going really well? Yeah,
0: because there's a reason why that one thing is going right, right.
1: Exactly. So there's it's like a reason digging in, they, they still have dance students or dancers mm-hmm. there that mm-hmm. like to work there. Mm-hmm. there. There's a reason why freelance dancers love to be freelancers as well, for example.
0: And yeah. again, this is a way of like, kind of like validating what I say a lot is change doesn't have always have to be like, like we we're talking about large and sweeping, right? It can be like one tiny little thing can be changed, right? Would you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The tiniest That's thing. I'm saying in talks that if you feel what I'm telling you is too much.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Do just five minutes of journaling at the end of a class, Mm -hmm. for example. That's all that is sometimes needed to just start somewhere. Start somewhere
0: and that will, you know, leaping into other things.
1: Exactly, yes, absolutely, I agree.
0: So what's your favorite part of doing this?
1: Being with the dancers, (laughs) (laughs) Of course. I I love to be with the dancers and work with them. Mm because mostly or every single time I go somewhere and give a talk or a workshop or I mentor somebody, I always learn something new mm. that I did not know before. So it's almost like we grow grown together.
0: Of course, and yes.
1: I just absolutely love to hear about the experiences and mm. also if they prove me wrong. Mm. If I can go and say, oh, this theory, and they'll be like, no, actually, that's not really resonating with me. That's really interesting.
0: And, you know, I think that's really powerful, because even you as a researcher, as a PhD researcher, you're already you're still going into your situations with an open mind that you still have things to learn. And I think that's like the best way that you can approach it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you need to have this curiosity for learning. Yes, Um, I don't know if you think that as well. Of course, especially as a PhD student. Uh, it's it's so humbling to do a PhD because mm. it's always something you didn't know. Always, somebody, somebody told me in the end, when you have your Bible the Bible will be about what you don't know yet. <laughs> Which is quite it's a bit daunting, but it's a bit exciting. It's like, yes, what don't I know what, yet? Yeah, what yeah. don't
0: I know? Yeah, I think that's really again, that's very powerful because you could go into these situations and oh, you know, I know everything. <laughs> You know, no,
1: exactly. Yeah, I, I don't like to do that. I really like to just go in and think, what can I learn mm. myself in this situation? Also, if I go wrong, if somebody says, I can't really connect with what you're saying, so like, mm. oh, that's interesting, let's talk about that.
0: Because it's okay to be yeah. wrong, right? Even as a re- again, even as a researcher, you don't have to have all the right answers, right?
1: You have to be wrong. I think right. sometimes you just have to be wrong. Yeah. It's, it's hard to be wrong, mm. it's hard when somebody shows you you're wrong. Um, but I do think we learn the most, maybe wrong and we right. can go and learn from
0: that. And you know, maybe the mental skill didn't work for one dancer and maybe it works for five other dancers. Right. It,
1: yeah, yeah. And I think we, we mostly still tend to teach anything just once in one way. Mm. And we should probably even mental skills, like, mm. I don't know, visualization or imagery or anything like that should be taught in many different ways mm. that you will get more people hooked mm. on this knowledge, mm. if you do it in several different ways, mm-hmm. than if you just do it in one way, it's right. like, I, I was really bad in math when I was small, mm. because I had a teacher that just told me that in one way, mm. I just repeated this one way. And I maybe sort of learned it in a different way than he did.
0: And it stuck yeah. with you, you're saying too, right? Yeah. 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 So it sticks with these young dancers too.
1: Yeah. I think it sticks better when you are engaging them mm. and not just talking at them.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. yes, that's like preach that because that is a hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. Oh,
1: exactly. You have Even to like. A, uh, or anything. Yeah,
0: you have to like sit with them. Yeah, not just yeah. preach. Yeah. yeah. I love that. So, what is maybe one piece of wisdom that you've learned from this whole experience?
1: Oh, I think that curiosity for learning will always save my day Mm -hmm. or save me or push me forward. Mm -hmm. That if I lose that, that curiosity, then I need to go into myself a little bit. Because with this curiosity comes enthusiasm to make a difference uh, without losing the ability to actually listen to people.
0: Oh, the listening is important too. Yes. Oh, Yeah. yeah,
1: I think so. And I, I try to become a better listener, mm. that's the thing. I think the wisdom is a bit like that, I the further I go, the, the more I know that I don't know much. Yeah. <laughs> that I, I have always needed other people to to ask, Um, I don't know if you've seen Oppenheimer, recently.
0: No, no. Um,
1: um, it's, um, I mean, um, you probably heard a lot about it, but to me, it was really a, an ode to research, because it was like Oppenheimer going around asking people, like, I do not know this, you know, I researched that, I do not know this, but you researched that. So let's go together, you know, and build the atom bomb, basically, <laughs> which is bad, but um, how they portrayed how he worked with the team, mm. in the end, that is for me, another such a, a wisdom, a takeaway that um, I can never be alone in something, mm. I go further, if I work with other people.
0: Mm. So you you do better when you have those connections and when you like nurture those, yeah. Yes, yeah.
1: because I think nobody can always know everything. There are it's, always people that almost like it's almost like a puzzle,
0: right?
1: Uh, people are puzzle pieces that you will need their knowledge and their their insights.
0: And again, I think that's like a powerful thing for again you as a researcher, but still going in as like you don't know everything.
1: No, I mean, I, I feel anyway a PhD is a bit like you starting completely from scratch, yep. like, and you're like I don't know anything, and you're like drowning <laughs> constantly. It's,
0: it's, you swim it's, back it's up, fair. you drown. You swim back up, you drown. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and you think like I think I know what I'm doing, and they say like No, nope. is wrong. <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> Isn't it lovely though, being able to do it every day? Yes.
1: It's an immense privilege. Mm -hmm. I really feel privileged Mm -hmm. and I get to do it. I'm funded to do this. It's, and I know some people want it and they don't get this opportunity. Exactly. I
0: really, really try to embrace it. Yeah. Some people want to do PhDs. Yeah. And just don't have the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And especially dance
1: PhDs. I mean, they are very, very rare. They're few and far between.
0: Yeah. 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 Mine isn't healthy humor performance, but yeah, it's nice that yours is dance specific. Yeah,
1: Yeah. mine is in sport. Next time, oh, okay, Okay. kind of a link. I see with your dissertation.
0: Yeah, I see.
1: Yeah,
0: awesome. Well, so thank you so much for today's amazing conversation. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed too. Thank you. Yes. All right, to wrap up today's wonderful, wonderful conversation with Michelle, I'm just going to highlight some of the summary points. So, one of the things that she really touched on, and this might be like my favorite, favorite thing that we talked about today, and even though she is a researcher in dance psychology she still goes into her teaching environments in a way that she always wants to stay curious and wants to keep learning she's willing to admit when she's wrong and you know she really made clear that she doesn't like just going into environments kind of with holding all the power and not really willing to have like open and honest conversations, right? So she goes into an environment as also that she knows that she's also going to learn as the dancers are also learning from her. So it's this nice, healthy relationship where, again, she's not just going into environments with all of the power and just you know not really willing to listen to them, right? So I just think this is a really, really great testament and a really, really great powerful statement into how amazing this is that even though again she has all of this knowledge and all of this wisdom but she still is humble in the environments that she teaches in and i think that's amazing she also offers lectures on this topic so i do want to highlight that and remember i will link all of her wonderful wonderful resources and all of her links right on my podcast page if you're interested in learning more about her again we talked about dance psychology we both agree that it's really a missing component in dance science and unfortunately there is not a lot of research on it but her dissertation will be a part of that research which is great we also touched on how her experience dancing in harsh and competitive environments how that impacted her right how that impacted her mentally and physically, right? Because I really clearly asked her, you know, I was like, how did that also impact your dancing? Because I can imagine that you weren't really dancing your best because you weren't really mentally feeling your best. And she really, really also made that clear that this is also something that impacts her today because after some of those harsh environments, she went on to dance in more healthy environments and she was kind of able to compare them in her head. So I just really, really enjoyed today's conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Dance Science Podcast. I'm your host, the Dance Scientist, and if you really enjoyed today's wonderful episode, please feel free to either leave a review, you can also comment right on the episode, and then you can also send me a direct message right on Instagram. Again, thank you for being here with us today, and I look forward to seeing you in my next episode.